naturally would be California. I see California has just chosen its official state bug. You, you heard about that, Nick? They have a state bug. I don't know what the New York state bug is, but I have a, you know, I have a suspicion after having lived in this state for some time, I have a suspicion of what the state bug... Now, how do you decide on a state bug? Is it the most popular bug? Or is it uh, the most uh, plentiful bug? Uh, <laughs> you know, after all, uh, if, uh, if you're going to uh, decide on the uh, national animal of, uh, of uh, Australia, you would not pick the lion. I mean, I have many lions there. You, well, you would if you're a dildoc, but I doubt whether you would. I suspect you'd pick the, uh, what is it that uh, Australia has a lot of, right? Giraffes, right? Okay. So I would suspect that the... The selection would be made on plentiful mess. So, uh, living uh, in New York City, I I have several suggestions for the state bug. I, does New York have a state bug? Seriously, the enchilada? Well, it's a small, boring insect. Yes, I know about the enchilada. That's the enchilada trefecans, which is a small uh, bug with large pincers, which uh, spends most of its time boring through tobacco plants. Of which, of course, New York has plentiful uh, numbers, yes, the enchilada. Is that our state bug? Well, uh, that's an interesting bug to have because uh, it's quite rare, as a matter of fact. And I must commend the New York for its imagination. Usually we don't have that kind of imagination of picking. You know, we just picked our state bird. And uh, contrary to popular opinion, it was not the starling. And it was not the uh, ordinary walking around spitting city pigeon, which would have been very significant. It was a very rare bird, as a matter of fact. What? The condor? Yes, you're correct. Correct. Yes, that's great. They're found mostly north of Albany. That's, yeah, it's a great bird for our state bird. But uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I personally uh, have never had much uh, relationship with the bugs. Oh, I, I shouldn't say, unless you, count, uh, unless you count the cockroach. See, I don't count. No, I don't. No, I'm sorry, Nick. I don't count the cockroach as part of the. Uh, you know, the general uh, bug population because any more than you count the dog is part of the animal kingdom, really, in, in essence. Uh, the, uh, the dog, of course, uh, you know, is, uh, is an animal, I suppose, technically. But actually, most dogs are as dumb as the people that own them and they walk around and they, you know, they, they act uh, silly and, uh, uh, well, you know dogs. And now, <laughs> you don't. <laughs> well, to me, uh, a dog is part of the human race. I mean, it's... Uh, now, and both good and bad. I mean, there's good dogs and there's bad dogs. Just as there's good people and good, you know, bad people, uh, dumb people and smart people and all the rest. And Leonard, Republican dogs. Uh, there's a, yes, uh, I think a Republican dog uh, it can easily be pointed out. I, I think the average cocker spaniel is a is a is a dyed true Republican dog. I, I uh, a fawning dog that's around and, and uh, you know. And then I can, can you imagine a Democrat dog? What? What would you see as a Democrat dog? Well, certainly not a, uh, not a uh, Malamute. No, uh, Malamute is obviously uh, an independent. <laughs> uh, certainly you couldn't say a, a Dalmatian. Yeah, a Dalmatian could be a Democrat dog. Yeah, yeah. Not a, uh, not a, uh, uh, a, uh, Oh, what are they? Uh, a boxer would not... Uh, yeah, that could be a fairly democratic dog. I would say German Shepherd would be a Democrat. Wouldn't you? 
I mean, it's a, you know, there's a certain uh, other side to them. They're not exactly a fawning dog. They're not at all. I'll, I'll, never, <laughs> I'll never forget my uncle's dog named King, who could jump over a 10-foot-high fence. I mean, he would, he would take a running jump, see, he would get about three-quarters of the way up, and he would cling to the, to the fence and then go over the rest of the way by, by climbing. This is not a Republican dog. And uh, when he would hit the other side, whatever was moving from blocks around, he would bite. And I mean with, you know, the teeth all the way into the bone, that kind of a dog. So, uh, you know, I, I, uh, uh, I, I suspect, however, that the cockroach is to the, 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 the world of bugs what the dog is to the world of animals. Because the cockroach is always found where man is and incidentally is rarely found outside of that place. You don't find many cockroaches, you know, where, where men are. And yet, on the other hand, you go to a place like uh, the Peruvian jungles, you find all kinds of, wa- you know, walking around working bugs by the million, uh, but no cockroaches. You go into Lima, where there's a lot of people sitting around, uh, you know, drinking, uh, drinking Peruvian whiskey and, and uh, eating salads and stuff. What do you find running all over your feet? That's right. That's right. It's, uh, so the, the relationship between man and cockroach is as complete as the relationship between man and dog. And uh, it's an uneasy relationship, mostly on the side of man, not on the side of cockroach. He, just <laughs> he accepts it, digs it, and uh, enlarges on it at any given point, at any opportunity. Now, those of you who've never lived in an apartment that has cockroach problems, probably... To, the, to you, this sounds like, uh, you know, mere uh, filling up time. But to anybody who has lived in an apartment with cockroaches knows very intimately the relationship between cockroach and man. In fact, you know, I knew a cockroach. I knew several cockroaches. That whenever I would go in to take a shower in this one apartment where I lived, they would come into the shower. They loved to take showers. Or at least they would show up on the wall of the shower. You ever seen them do that, Nick? Okay, you don't see your average grasshopper doing that, or your average ladybug. No, sir. It's only the cockroach that, that he hears the shower, he runs in, you know, it's time for a shower. So he comes in. <laughs> oh, nothing is greater than to find him using your towel, too, afterwards. And, you, know, you pick up your towel, 45 cockroaches fly, run out of it, you know, because uh, after all, after the shower, you know, they need this thing. Well, uh, there is a note. If you think that bugs aren't getting out of hand, this is a... Uh, did you see the, uh, the piece that came out of Honolulu? Listen, a scientist aiming for a new non-polluting method of destroying termites found it's a fantastic surprise, which he couldn't believe. The termites recognized which of their colleagues were infected. You know, when they put this poison around, and uh, the termites would go on, they'd eat some poison. Next thing you know, you know they got this, uh, this bad news uh, thing. Uh, they're coughing and hacking or whatever it is that <laughs> termites do when they get poison in their gut. Anyway, the other termites would recognize the ones that were infected with this stuff. They then went to work on them. Now, listen to what the termites did. They clipped off their antennas and legs. This is their friend, okay? Okay, they clipped off their antennas and legs, then built a wall to seal them off from the rest of the colony and left the contagious termites to die. In other words, they literally quarantined them. Now, that's a smart bug. Now, you see what the kind of, uh, of, uh, of termite stuff they were using was some kind of uh, 
some kind of a parasite that they give to the termites, uh, which, you know, if the termite gets this parasite, he becomes very contagious. And all the other termites get it, you see, theoretically. But it wasn't working. They couldn't figure it out. Uh, he was growing nematodes, which is a parasitic worm no bigger than a pencil dot in this laboratory. Uh, termites trapped outside and brought into the lab were infected by these nematodes. See, these nematodes really are bad news for termites. And then turned loose, the ones with the nematodes in their gut, were turned loose to carry the disease back to their colonies to cause an epizootic, an insect epidemic. It didn't happen. And this, uh, this scientist says, I don't know how they did it. But the termites recognized instantly the sick insects, isolated them, and kept the disease from spreading on the rest of the colony. So it really surprised me. So, to my knowledge, this kind of behavior has not been detected before. Although termites are known to seal off poisoned areas, such as a tunnel leading to a home that's been exterminated, they were not known to single out individual members. Clip their wings, put them into a, a little uh, cell, and then seal it up and say, forget it, baby, you've had it. Fantastic. Have you ever had anything to do with ter with termites? Any of you? Yeah, that you know about, right? Well, let me tell you my, my experience with termites. Boy, oh boy, I, they, they really scared it. the daylights out of me, termites. See, I, 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 I was a kid one time. I really was. And I, I was, uh, I was we, we had this house. We were renting, see. And the, where our families lived in this house. We lived in this house ever since I was a little, you know, about three. And uh, you know how it is when you, when you live in a house for a long time, especially when you're a kid, you, you get to know every inch of the house, and it becomes so familiar to you, it's almost like, uh, you know, like your shoes or something. It's your house, that's all. You don't think of anything. It's just your house. And we had lived in this house ever since I was a little kid. Well, now, we had, I had this bedroom, and in this bedroom there was a, there, we had bunk beds, you know, these bunk beds. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, my kid brother slept on the top bunk bed, and I slept on the bottom bunk bed. And uh, the beds were in the corner of this room. Well, one night, it uh, was about uh, 1 in the morning or something. It was dark. I was lying in the, in the sack there asleep. And uh, everything is normal. Uh, the, the normal sounds of the house, you know, you have a normal sound when the refrigerator goes on, you know, that sound, you know. We had a refrigerator that would wind up like a, you know, like a minor league pitcher. It didn't just start. You know, some great refrigerators. Uh, I used to envy people that had refrigerators that just went, boom, you know, made this. Ours would go, <laughs> I guess it was the compressor. <laughs> and you hear the whole floor go, it would go. So that was our refrigerator, see. And, uh, oh, God, did that, did that refrigerator cause a family crisis? Because my mother read an ad in a paper about this refrigerator. And this was the one she wanted. She read this ad, you know, it shows this elegant lady opening the refrigerator, had the doors that opened at the top and the bottom and all that stuff. And it was only after we had it about a year that it began to sound like a large truck rolling downhill on a flat. Uh, whenever it started, the old man said, oh, that's your refrigerator. So when you at your refrigerator, that's your refrigerator. It was always referred to as my mother's refrigerator. And then she would just turn and from the sink and look, and it's going, <laughs> gung, 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 gung. And it never kept anything really cold. You're, you're listening to one of the few guys who got used to, at early age, lukewarm ice cubes. Uh, <laughs> it never, never was really cold. And so, so nevertheless, there's all kinds of little family interweavings. You know, most families are composed of about 
Well, however many people are in a family, that's how many warring factions there are. And uh, it's always secret. It's under the uh, counter. Ne it's never spoken out loud. Each one has his own little gripe against the rest of them. And they each one thinks, yeah, well, Aunt Min always did like Randy better. You know, that kind of stuff. And uh, it's always under the surface. No, I, I say man is an island by God, and he's even more of an island in his own home than he is anywhere else. And you know why I say this? That wherever you're out, like at the office or any place where you're just with ordinary walking around people, they're not family, you know, nobody has this great backlog of ancient wrongs. And, uh, <laughs> you know, of ancient uh, fiascos of, of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of quietly decaying hates that, that happened one time at Aunt Clara's birthday party and all that stuff, you know, that every, every family is composed of a great, uh, if you can imagine, a Brillo pad of millions of events that only the people in that family know about. It's, the, it's family history. Uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a terrible rat's nest. Uh, this is WOR speaking. This is WOR New York. Just reminded me you know, that, that every organization is like that. If you, if you got over, say, you, you see from the outside the New York Times. It looks so official. And uh, you walk past the building, the great big thing in the New York Times. They have this big logo. And yet, uh, if, you, if you, a friend of mine worked over there for a long time, he says, you, you'd be surprised at a rat's nest. Of arguments, you know, arguments over coffee breaks and whether or not somebody was invited to a company party and somebody else wasn't. And that, oh, you know, it's a whole mess of pottage. Well, anyway, our family was no different. See, we had this whole scene going. And uh, there had been continuous strife over this house, uh, which uh, we were festering in at the time. And the, 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 the strife actually boiled down to this my old man wanted to move and my mother didn't. Women tend to be nesters. Uh, men tend to be uh, basically movers. They're always feeling the itch. Would you agree with that, Nick, a little bit? And it's not, I don't want to make a uh, 10. Now, remember that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Miss Friedan. I did not say, uh, I said 10. <laughs> I, I leave it open. All options. And so, uh, by the way, isn't that a big phrase today? You notice that's the magic phrase this, this year is to leave your options open. At the last year's phrase was uh, you were getting inputs and you were giving outputs. Remember that? The, um, the input here in this department is some, meaning somebody said something rotten to you. Uh, that's called an input. They don't say that anymore. Now it's uh, leaving your options open. I'm uh, leaving my options open along with Mr. Shrive or all the other deep, important people. I'm, I have uh, absolutely open options. Not like the old days when people used to always want open pores. Uh, I have open options. I keep them that way all the time. That little group of them. I, I water them occasionally, too, my options. And they grow well, especially in this climate. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I'm, I'm sleeping one day. And, uh, remember, the house is uh, filled with the usual noises. You hear a creak. You hear a thing down in the basement that thumps. Uh, usual house noises. The, uh, the, in fact, the noises which most of us are so used to now in our life wherever it is we live, that we no longer are aware of them, of those sounds. If you're, if you're interested in uh, making a test on how you have adapted to sound, uh, mysterious sounds often, unexplainable sounds, inexplicable sounds, bring a strange dog into your apartment once. 
and watch that dog flip every 30 seconds over a sound which uh, you completely accept, like the guy upstairs blowing his nose into the air conditioner, which, uh, you know, you uh, <laughs> you first noticed, but now you don't notice any longer. You know, that's the in fact. You're just, just part of the general atmosphere. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's the milieu, the, the zeitgeist, the thing you live in. Uh, the uh, the soft humus compost heap of sound and sight and smell that no longer is even uh, recognizable to you because it's it's all around you just a steady thing and uh, you know the people when they're taken out of the sound padding you know that one of the great uh, one of the great uh, security blankets that you have in your life is the subterranean sound level that you never are aware of and yet the the moment you're not aware of it, you feel vaguely, you, when, when you don't have it, you feel vaguely uh, uh, uncomfortable. There's a, there's a nervousness, a, a curious feeling of, of, uh, of something's gone and missing. And you can't point to it and say it is this because you're not even aware of it when you've got it. And they say that one of the reasons why so many city people feel vaguely ill at ease when they're in a small town, uh, when they're in a, in, a, uh, in, a, in a quiet place, is because of that cushion of noise, which they accept as part of their life completely. Uh, I, in fact, you, you adapt to all kinds of sensory uh, variations, which uh, very few people are aware of at the time. You know, they just adapt to For example, one time I was in, this was past... Uh, uh, last year, we were working on the television show. I was in a town in Colorado. And uh, there's a town, self-contained town. They had, uh, it was a regular town. It was about eight or nine, ten thousand people. And uh, I went into this office, and they had a water cooler. And I walked up to the water cooler, and I turned it on. You know, it was a regular water cooler, and I hit the button, and out comes the cold water. And I took a drink of water, and I couldn't believe it. It almost knocked me flat. It was the most unbelievable taste of rotten eggs. Have you ever had that, that water that tastes like rotten eggs? Have, you know, that, that kind of, just, just overwhelming. I mean, you could smell it. It's fantastic. And it, it, I, you know, oh. and, and I staggers back, and the guy who was with me, who was from the town, he said, what's the matter? I said, the water, it's the unbelievable water. He said, what do you mean? He said, Colorado said, what do you mean, the water? I said, that water tastes fantastic. He said, well, it must be something wrong with the machine. Let me hear Let me taste Let me taste it. And he takes a couple of slugs of the water. He said, nothing wrong with that water. What do you mean? Well, he didn't even, even know that this water tasted like rotten eggs because that's all he ever knew. And I'm sure that if he ever went to a place where the water tasted good, he'd say, what's the matter with this water here? It's a bad taste. So... So, you know, you, you, you form a, a whole pattern of these things. See, so I'm lying flat on the, on the sack there, see, and you get to know the complete sound pattern of your bedroom more than any other place because most of the time in your bedroom, you're in a state of semi-consciousness. I mean, you're, you're waking up or you're sleeping or you're sleeping, various degrees of sleep, and your, your mind hears all these sounds distant trains. Now, we had a, we had a, uh, a roundhouse about a mile away from our house. Now, if you've ever lived near a roundhouse, 
Now, I mean, not too close, but on, close enough so you can hear stuff. And late at night, you never hear it during the day. Because uh, during the day, there's a whole different set of sounds take over, traffic and all the rest of it. But at night, you'd hear the sound of bells. You know, guys backing up diesel engines. You know, when they back them up, they go ding, 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 ding. You know the sound? Ding, 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 ding. You'd hear boom, boom. He hits a freight car. You boom, boom, boom. And then you hear these wheels. Ding, 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 ding. Well, this was so much part of their life there that uh, I would just listen to that sound. They would not even know that there was such a sound until my cousin Buddy came to stay with us once and took the top bunk, and he almost went out of his mind because of the bells. And I just thought, you know, there's bells. And so I'm lying there, and for about... The very interesting thing happened. For about, for about a year, there was, there was a, a series of sounds which unconsciously I had become accustomed to. Now, I used to lie in, the, in this, this bed right next to the wall. We had flowered wallpaper that looked like, uh, like vines growing up the side of the wall. Terrible-looking wallpaper, but it was, the wallpaper was in the house. And uh, Mr. Meany, who, uh, who was the landlord, was always going to put in new wallpaper, but never did in that room where I lived. See, it was uh, pink flowers going up the side of this green wall. So I'm lying there <laughs> this night. <laughs> and, and suddenly, for the first time, I became very aware of this sound. And how I became aware of it is I'm lying right next to the wall, right next to the wall. My bed was right up against the wall. I'm lying like right in the, in the corner of the wall and the bed. And I wake up, and I'm jammed in this corner. I had rolled up against this thing. I'm jammed in the corner, and my ear is up against the wall. And I'm hearing this sound, and I don't know how to express the sound. If you've ever heard it, you will never forget it. But it's a sound that is one of the spookiest sounds that I've ever heard, personally. It's the sound that goes something like... like somebody was, was was scratching something, but steadily. It never stopped. It didn't didn't begin and end. It just went So I drift off to sleep again. And I didn't think anything about it. The next day, I'm lying in the sack there again. And now I'm aware of it. Have you ever had that curious sensation of slowly becoming aware of something? It's like uh, your consciousness slowly begins to assimilate the stuff that's going on around you. It's like uh, this friend of mine who was married to this girl. And he said one day, it, it just dawned on him, one afternoon. And they're sitting in the house there, and, and he was talking to her that she was totally different than she used to be. But it had happened so gradually, he did not at any point see that it was happening. It just it suddenly hit him. The awakening awareness that <laughs> it hit him. And not only was she different from what she had been, she had a whole life going on outside, which she was totally unaware of. Well, 
I'm laying in the sack, and I hear this sound. This time, I'm really listening to it. It sounds louder. But I think the loudness changed as you become more sensitive to something. You listen for it. And every night for about a month, I'm hearing this sound in the wall. Just a steady sound. Well, one day, I go under my bed. Now, under the bed, we kept all the stuff like baseball mitts. We kept stuff like bats and ice skates and jazz. We're all kept under this bed. It was, you know, a double-deck type uh, uh, bunk thing. And under the bed, there was a place where you could stick all this stuff down into the corner, see? Well, I go under the bed for something, and I see something move. Just runs across the floor. Just like that. Well, that was the beginning of the end. I said to my my kid brother, I said, did you see that thing? And he said, yeah. Who was it? Well, it looked like an ant. It looked like a very big ant. Well... One night, I am lying in the sack there, and I hear... We had light that would drift in through the Venetian blinds in my bedroom because we had a street light that hung right right about 70 feet away from my window, and this light would come in. You know how the light comes in in long strips uh, from the Venetian blind? Once in a while, a car would go by, and you see a big light flash over the ceiling of the room and go down the other way. Well, this was all part of it. The, the things you could become used to in a room. And the light goes past, and I see something walking along the wall, right right on this big pink cluster of flowers that was growing up the side of the green painted trellis, the wallpaper. And I see this thing walking right past my face. It was the first time that I was aware, totally, that somebody was sharing my bedroom with me. And it wasn't my kid brother, and it wasn't a big aunt. He had come right out through the wallpaper. Well, (laughs) it hit the fan. I want to tell you, it hit the fan. The next day, I told my mother about the bugs in my room. And she flipped, like most lady types, and the bugs were something that she really went up up the wall about. You're the bugs! And the... I said, yeah, there's bugs in my room. Yeah, bugs. So she came rushing into the bedroom, and she's looking around, and she could find no bugs, as is always the case whenever you report something that's not going to be found. She couldn't find any bugs. So at 6 o'clock that night, the old man comes home, and uh, he goes rushing. He was the uh, bug expert. By the way, one of the greatest mosquito catchers of his generation. My father loved mosquitoes. In fact, uh, one of the great sorrows of his time was when they brought in DDT. And, uh, you know, you spread his stuff around on the mosquitoes because he loved uh, one, one of his prized possessions was an elegant pearl-handled fly swatter, which uh, he kept in a, in a shoulder holster. And uh, he used to snap off those quick, you know, those quick hip shots. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you think, I'm going to tell you something. Do you think the fly swatters are dead, Nick? Has it been a long time since you've seen a working fly swatter? Well, I want to tell you, fly swatters are alive and working. I just came back from Bemidji, Minnesota. And uh, in, in every hotel room in this hotel where we stayed, all the uh, guys that were involved in this, uh, this Bemidji Upper Midwestern Writers Conference, in every hotel room in the John, right next to the uh, bottle opener that was on the wall, 
hung a an elegant plastic fly swatter. For those of you who haven't seen the most recent developments in fly swatters, I'd like to tell you that they're now one piece. Did you know that? They're one piece for all of you fly swatter fans. And the uh, handle is very flexible. It's a flat, white, flexible, flat piece of, uh, of plastic. And the, uh, the top part, you know, the swatter part, is, is molded right onto it. And it's green. And it has holes. And it's a beautiful fly swatter. It's, it's got a nice wrist action, nice snap action. But the one thing it does not have, it does not have the power action that the great fly swatters, you know, the kind with the metal thing with the screen on the top, Boy, I, I used to see the old man leave his feet. I mean, he would leap high in the air in the living room when a, when a mosquito would go by and nail him on the ceiling. You couldn't do it with one of these uh, little floppy uh, plastic types. But they're, they're, uh, fly swatters are alive and well, and they're making it. But the night that, that my old man came home, uh, you know, it's, it was one of those terrible things. I used to like my bedroom. Uh, but uh, you... you how would you feel about the room that you're living in right now? I mean, you got a bedroom, right? How would you feel about the room that you're living in? If you were aware, you became aware that in the, in the wall or uh, under the floor, a seven-foot diamondback rattlesnake was living. Would it, <laughs> would it change your attitude towards, towards the, uh, you know, towards the, uh, Towards the uh, the room. Uh, as a matter of fact, let me tell you, I saw I saw a guy practically go out of his bird one time uh, who lived out in the suburb in Jersey, who lives in a nice house, you know, the whole bit. And uh, one night, one of the kids goes down into the basement, and he hollers, starts hollering, "Daddy, Daddy, there's an animal down here." That Daddy figured, you know, a mole has got in or something like that. He goes downstairs in his nice, elegant house out in the suburbs. And uh, there's the kids, and Daddy, Daddy, look at the animal over there. And Daddy comes down, and, and who is standing in the corner there but uh, a, a gigantic, enormous, mean, red-eyed sewer rat about the way, <laughs> about a, you know, about a two-and-a-half-pound sewer rat. Now, uh, how he got in there is beside the point. The point is, he was in there. That's the point. And it changed the whole thing. He says, you know, the house has never seemed the same since the night of the rat. That, that somehow there's uh, forces beyond which we, over which we have no control. And so the old man comes into the house, you know, and, and he comes rushing up the back steps, and my mother says, there's bugs in, in Jeannie's bedroom. He says, bugs? What do you mean, bugs? Uh, he always liked the idea of bugs, so he'd go in and get his fly swatter out and rush in and start swatting stuff. And she says, no, there's bugs in his bedroom. He says, what kind of bugs? She, I don't know, they're funny-looking bugs. <laughs> he says, what do you mean? So she says, well, go on and look. So he goes in, he's looking around, he's, he's looking for the bugs. And I, that, the uh, first idea I ever had that, that worked, I says, Dad, you know, if you listen to the wall, you can hear them. He said, what do you mean, listen to the wall? Bugs, you can hear them in the wall? I said, yeah. He said, what, what do you mean, where? I says, back there where that flower is. So he puts his ear up against the wall. And sure enough, you day is working. bugs in that wall. And he runs down to the basement, gets his hammer and a chisel. He comes, yeah, he was going to, he went right at it. And he, he comes back up into the bedroom and he, he says, now look, he says, you're going to tell me that we cracked the wall, right? But I want to find out what's in that wall. And she says, okay, okay. 
So he takes the chisel and he goes, whack! And a chunk of plaster about the size of a pie plate just goes pop right out of the wall. An unbelievable sight. Have you ever seen a colony of termites? Now, some of you might have seen one termite or two. But I, I, I can't just... It's like, it's like inside the wall of a house, there was a moiling mass of black moving objects. Just like a, like a pyramid of them. And, of course, the minute the light hit them, they were going like, you know, Billy be damned, millions of them going all directions. My mother, you know, ah! She runs out, out of it. Ah! The old man, he's, ah! You know, he's, he's running around because he figured, you know, he, he figured he'd see a couple of ladybugs or who knows what, you know, but this fantastic scene. Well, he's running around swatting these evil things. And, of course, I'm, from that minute on, the bedroom was a different sight, different scene, and a different feel. The, the, the entire house was infested with these strange, walking-around, black, evil insects. Have you ever really seen termites, any of you? Well, it does not surprise me that the termite uh, has his own little system of, uh, of quarantining. They are intelligent, evil, uh, bug-eyed things. And so Mr. Meany came the next day, and he comes out, and, oh, it's very interesting, very interesting. And they, they, they brought the, uh, they brought the uh, exterminator. Have you ever had an exterminator in your house? Well, they sealed off the whole house. You know how they do it? They sealed off the whole house. They had all these things, smoke and all that stuff. And 28 million bugs flew out. But apparently billions of them were killed. Didn't make any difference. The exterminator leaves, and three nights later, after they had replastered the wall, I hear of termites became as much a part of that bed and that bedroom as the sound of diesel trains in the distance going ding, 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 ding. I think it's time to talk about the general tires. Hey, do you need uh, tires, you tire fans? Uh, see the Tire Pro at your local general tire headquarters for all of your car needs. The tires, of course. From sports cars to sedans, compacts to king size, even dictator size cars, General Tire makes the tires you need and at prices that are easy to afford. Now you can choose from rayon cord tires, nylon cord tires, puncture sealing tires, steel belted radial tires, fantastic collection, and you get your choice of black wall, pink wall, or white wall design. Some even has raised white letters for that beautiful sporty look of today. You can have your own name, you know, and a whole bit. So, uh, General Tire's time-proven method of tire recapping. They also have some great recaps down there. That's all at your local General Tire headquarters, where the big red General Tire G has stood for, of course, fantastic quality for over 57 years. And uh, in the Bronx, you visit old Phil McConkey, General Tire Service, 1163 Leggett Avenue. No problem. There's a movement in this country, a movement among people who want to do something personally about the problems that face us. It's called action. Action gives concerned Americans a chance to volunteer to work with people who want help. Action is Peace Corps, serving in developing nations around the world. Action is Vista, serving in communities here at home. Action is foster grandparents, helping children in need throughout the country. Action is SCORE. Retired executives counseling small businessmen. Action is all this and more. 
It's thousands of Americans from all walks of life working together face-to-face where it really makes a difference. Maybe action can help in your community. Or you may want to join action using your knowledge and ability where they are most needed. Find out how you can be part of this new movement. Write action, Washington, D.C., 20525. Well, now, you know, talking about bugs, and I, and I don't want to, you know, make this a total bug night, but that might as well, <laughs> that the bugs, I'll never, you know, I'll never be able to explain to people uh, the worst bug scene I ever saw in my life was was in the in the jungles of the Amazon. Uh, I was in the Amazon jungles one time. You remember that that whole thing? A lot of people wonder what how that all came about. I sometimes myself wonder. But there was one curious moment in my life when I was in the upper Amazon jungle with a tribe of headhunters. Yes, real headhunters. And uh, and I'm not talking about movie headhunters. It's a real thing. And a uh, very interesting crowd. But. Uh, we went down. They they had. They, it was almost like out of a Dorothy Lamour picture. That uh, in this jungle, which is uh, very uh, almost impenetrable. I mean, uh, some jungles, you know, you walk through. But this is a, a rainforest jungle where, if you were to walk more than uh, thirty or forty feet, uh, you were practically completely lost. No light came in. It was black almost like night uh, down inside the jungle itself. And there were pools of water everywhere, stagnant uh, pools. And uh, the, the sound of insects would begin as soon as the light got faintly, just faintly towards twilight. You know, in the, in the tropical zones, particularly in, in the equatorial zones, there is no twilight as we know it. It's either light or it's dark. <laughs> that there's about eight minutes of uh, faint twilight, and then zap, it's black. Well, in that twilight, as soon as you hear the first insects start to tune up, which tremendous sound. Uh, there was one insect, for example, in the jungle there. Couldn't believe the sound I was hearing. It sounded like wood chopping. You ever heard a guy chop wood? You hear the sound of that chunk, 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 chunk. You know, somebody chopping wood. Chunk. And then it would take a couple of extra quick chops, just like uh, uh, somebody does when they're chopping wood. You know, chunk, 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 chunk. Well, that was a beautifully staged. It sounded like he has now cut down the thing he's going to cut down. Now he moves to the next one. And it goes, chunk, 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 chunk. I'm lying. <laughs> in a hammock hanging from a tree, and I hear this fantastic sound, and it echoes all, all around the forge. Chunk, 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 chunk. And I figured that one of, the, uh, one of the natives is out chopping some vines or something for wood or uh, bringing it into... Uh, they had a fire there. You know, because innocently you always try to figure something logical. Chunk, 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 chunk. Well, I asked one of the, uh, the, the guy I was with, what, what in the hell is that? After about a half an hour of this chopping. He said, oh, he says, it's, uh, he says, a chopper bud. I says, a what? He says, a chopper bud. He says, it's a bug that makes it sound like chopping. I says, you mean that's a bug? He says, you ain't heard nothing. 
He says, wait. <laughs> he says, wait. Well, that chopper bug was the beginning. Of, there's one bug, by the way, that, that makes a sound which sounds very much like the sound of, of one of these uh, European, you know, the European sirens that they put on, uh, on ambulances. You know, you always see them in, in, uh, in Scotland Yard movies, you know, that kind of thing. Well, that's sort of again started to go. You know, you're junk, junk, junk. Then for some reason, they'd all stop. Dead silence. And then, you'd, then you'd hear the mosquitoes. Have you ever heard mosquitoes so, so, so many, so mean, so uh, concentrated that it sounds like a, a waterfall? that the sound of a waterfall just outside the camp is the sound of the mosquito. It's going... <sighs> Fantastic mosquito life. The sound of that chopper butt. The sound of the siren butt. At that, that morning, this was after the first hellish night in this place, in which I might add I did not sleep one second for a number of reasons. For one reason, sitting down at the end of the little platform where we were sleeping in the middle of this jungle, supposedly sleeping in, this, in these nets, was a guy sitting there, a headhunter, one of the tribesmen. He's just squatting down. They have one on guard all night. And he's squatting, just, just squatting there. He never moves. He just squats. And they change off night after night. Different ones. They just squats, absolutely unmoving. After the third night, I asked you know, somebody to translate, find out what he's doing, what he's waiting for. No. What's he waiting for? Well, he's waiting for jaguars. And uh, not only jaguars, he's waiting, and wait till you hear this one. He's waiting for vampire bats, which come out of the dark and suck your blood right out of you. And he's waiting. He said his vampire gets out of hand, he'll deal with it. Or theoretically. That is, if he likes you. Decides that you shouldn't be eaten by the vampires. And so all the while, the bugs chopped and howled and screamed. And then that morning, when I went down to the pool, it was a pool that looked like it was right out of a Dorothy Lamour movie. With water trickling down from the rocks. Ice-cold water, absolutely as clear as crystal. Except for one thing. And right around the edges were large blood red leeches, which, if they fastened to your leg, uh, buried their head under your skin and stayed there, usually forever. I mean, or at least till next Wednesday. <laughs> WOR, New York. And now the news. From the WOR newsroom, this is Bob Brady for Lester Smith with a roundup of the latest news. The midtown Manhattan temperature is 67 degrees under mostly cloudy skies. The WOR weekend weather watch for New York City and vicinity. Cloudy tonight and tomorrow morning with a chance of a few showers. Low tonight in the mid to upper 60s, partly sunny tomorrow afternoon, high in the mid to upper 70s. We are in cooler tomorrow night, sunny and pleasant on Sunday.
Now the news. Four months ago, when North Vietnam invaded South Vietnam, tanks crossed the demilitarized zone to help capture Quang Tri Province. Tonight, North Vietnam's tanks are moving again in the central coastlands. Amphibious tanks are now in the battle for a district capital, 38 miles south of Da Nang. So far, the North Vietnamese tanks and artillery have been used to control the capital's military compound and a strategic militia post three miles outside the town known as Chien Phuc. South Vietnamese defenders wanted U.S. air attacks, but rain and clouds grounded all fighter bombers. North Vietnamese gunners shelled a refugee camp, and a South Vietnamese military spokesman said four civilian refugees were killed and 50 wounded in that attack. Already, local government commanders have decided to evacuate some 20,000 civilians from the area. A Jewish holy period begins with calls for vengeance and for no retaliation. Tonight, both Israeli and Palestinian spokesmen reported on Israeli Air Force raids into Lebanon and Syria. The Palestinian spokesman said at least 29 Palestinians were killed as jet fighters hit suspected guerrilla sites. In Syria, a military spokesman charged that some civilians were among those killed and wounded. Israel refuses to say the bombing and strafing attacks were revenge for Tuesday's Munich killings by Arab commandos of 11 Israeli Olympic team members 